I want you to turn in your Bible, whether you have one on your phone, you have a tablet with you perhaps, go to Luke chapter 6. Last week, we were in Luke chapter 5, and we are jumping into the next section of our lectionary readings for this week, and it takes us in the gospel readings to this passage of Luke chapter 6. Now, in order for us to get to where we're going, we have to understand a little bit of background. Sometimes when you read the Bible, I don't know about you, this often happens to me, I'll get a pre-assigned passage, and I go and read it. But I don't even know what's happening. you got to figure out the lay of the land. What's really going on in the setting? So we have this moment that's going to happen that we're going to read here in about a minute. But before this happens, right before what we read takes place in the story, Jesus has just gone up on the mountain, and he has chosen his 12 disciples. So keep that in the back of your mind. He went up on a mountain, he chose his 12 disciples, And then this happens. So here we go. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. And this is how the story goes. He went down with them and stood on a level place. And a large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem in the south and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. You can imagine what people would have been saying. You've got to come see this Jesus. He's healing people left and right. It's, it's like you can't even stop him. He's out there just healing people. And so everybody and their mother, literally everybody and their mother is coming and wanting to be healed by this Jesus. And so Jesus knows that he has a crowd, people that are watching him, And he's going to say something. So then looking at his disciples, the next verse says, looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how the ancestors treated their false prophets. And that's where we find the end of our reading for today. It's one of those passages that you have to ask yourself if there's anything going on upstairs in your mind. You're like, what in the world is Jesus doing right now? So remember the setting. Remember the setting, he has just gone up the mountain and chosen his 12 disciples, names them by name, and then they come down. And people are trying to get to Jesus, trying to get as close as they can because they want the healing that Jesus is giving. But the number 12 means something. In our day, and I know we have like a highly, um, uh, highly influenced culture by sports. Sports is it. I mean, today's the day everyone loves, whether you love it or you don't. It's the Super Bowl. If I were to 
choose five of you and say, we're going to go play a game, most of you would be like, I know what game we're going to go play, and it's the game of basketball. It was where I was going with that one. There you go. Five people, right? If I was going to choose five of you and go play a game, it would be basketball. If I were to choose nine of you and we were going to say, hey, we're going to go play a game on a field, you most likely would know I was going to talk about baseball or cricket. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, Baseball. Uh, If I were to choose 11 of you and we were going to go play a game, it would be football, regardless of the style, whether you like the European version of it or you like American football. It's 11 people. But Jesus has the audacity to choose 12. And 12 seems like this number that we're supposed to care about. It seems like this number that is mentioned in the Bible quite often. But I guarantee you, If you would have been there that day when this crowd was gathering around Jesus and they had just chosen 12, everyone would have known what he was doing. And here's why. He's not choosing a sports team. He's not getting on the field to compete with other people. The reason he chooses 12 disciples is because he is hearkening back to a day that happened hundreds and hundreds of years before. Because when God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. That story is pretty well known out there. We, we see it in popular culture. You see it in movies, regardless of the version that you watch. It's the Charlton Heston version. It's the VeggieTales version. I don't care what version it is. But you remember when the Israelites are in Egypt and they are oppressed, and then they get out of Egypt by Moses, their leader, but God is the one who leads them out. And they wait for 40 years in the desert before God says, it's time for you to go enter the promised land. And then when you enter the promised land, I'm going to divide you into 12 tribes. So the division of the people of God into 12 matters. So for hundreds of years, the people have known this is how God gets his business done. He's going to divide the people into 12 tribes, and each tribe has a purpose. There's a purpose for one of the tribes, the Levites, who are going to be the priests. They're the ones who are going to constantly serve at the tabernacle, which is that moving, kind of portable, set-up tent uh, temple, if you will. And one day, it actually gets built Solomon does this a couple hundred years later, and there's actually a building, and the Levites serve at that place. But these 12 tribes exist in the Holy Land, the place that we know as Israel, and they all had purpose. But we know some of the story because eventually 10 of the tribes get stolen out into exile by the Assyrians, and then two of the tribes eventually are carted off into exile by these people called the Babylonians. This is history that you would get at any local library or any Google search that you do. This is how it goes. There were 12 tribes, and there's now no longer that. They've been dispersed. And there's this phrase known to the Jewish people as the diaspora. They have been displaced. They no longer are a thing. And when Jesus shows up on the scene and he's talking to these Jewish people, and he chooses 12 Every Jewish person who understood any of their history would have been thinking to themselves, is God up to something new? And that's exactly what Jesus wanted to highlight, that he's up to something new when he takes these 12 people. And then he begins to talk about four blessings and four woes. Now, I wonder why the number four, there's nothing necessarily special about them. I knew there was special about 12, but not necessarily about the four. 
And Luke, who's writing this gospel that we're reading today, is not the only person who's talked about the things that Jesus talks about on this day. There's actually another gospel writer, a guy named Matthew, who begins the New Testament. And when he tells the story, Jesus is not on a level playing field. He's not on a level field at all. He's actually up on a mountain. It's called the Sermon on the Mount to replicate what Moses did all the way back in history. So Jesus, in Matthew's version, stands on a mountain and proclaims things. But in Matthew's version, it takes about 107 verses to get done. Where in the Luke version of things, Jesus gets it done in about, I think it's like 32, 37, I forget which one it is. And we're just reading a small part of it today. So when Jesus says to his disciples and he calls them closer, almost like a sports team and like a playbook, if you think about the image of a playbook and you know how the coach would like draw X's and O's on the screen and be like, you're going to play here and you're going to play here and you got to guard the, you know, the offense over here and you got to play safety in the backfield because if the throw is made, you've got to be the one that intercepts it. Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, I've chosen 12 of you for purpose because the 12 tribes missed their opportunity. And I'm choosing the 12 of you as a symbol and an emblem for the people everywhere that God is up to something new, that he hasn't forgotten his people, and he's going to be active. And he chooses these 12 and says, hey, come closer, and I'm going to tell you four blessings and four woes. But I guarantee you more people were listening. The people who had just had their diseases healed or their bodies healed or their emotions healed, they stuck around to see what Jesus was going to say which is why on this day, we get four blessings and four woes. So I feel like it's important for us to review them one more time. So let's jump right back in to verse 20. So looking at his disciples, Jesus said, and just a real quick timeout. These are very hard verses to read. We cannot quickly pass them by. If it meant something to Jesus to share them that day, it must have meaning for us even today. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. One more parathetical thought for you regarding those four blessings that just happened. Luke cuts to the bone even harder than his friend Matthew does. Matthew says things like, blessed are you who are poor in spirit and blessed are you who hunger for righteousness. And for Matthew's audience, he is spiritualizing the experience, but for Luke, he is saying real cut and dry, blessed are you who are poor and blessed are you who are hungry. And these are hard verses to read because I want God's blessings, but today I'm not hungry, and today I'm not poor. And these are hard words to read. If I want to be on God's team, what does that mean? Does that mean I have to get rid of everything and go live on the street? What is he talking about? 
And then we take it further and we get to the woes, the warnings of Jesus. And you drop down into verse 24 and he says this, but woe to you who are rich. And by the way, rich on the scale is probably every single one of us. For you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. And woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So when we read these words of Jesus, we have options. Option one is, We check it off on the list and we feel good about our reading of the day and we move back into our life of comfort. And for some of us, we can be real honest with ourselves and you're like, well, not every meal is available. Well, not every, and I don't know what it is for you, but on the whole, our society is on the rich side of things. But there is still a problem of poverty and those who go hungry. And I look at these two lists, the four blessings on one side and the four woes on the other, and I am convicted because if I'm honest with you, I probably am going to receive the words of Jesus as woes and warnings more than the words of blessing. And that is hard to admit because I want Jesus to be my homeboy. I want Jesus to be my friend. I want Jesus to basically approve of everything that I do in life and feel good about me so that I feel good about me and that I can continue to live a life that I think is righteous and good. But I come to these words and they cut like a knife into my soul. And do I see the world the way Jesus sees it? And so what do I do with this? Whether than just feel bad about my life, do I move on in any kind of way? Do I say, hey, I don't really want to read those passages much more because they make me feel really guilty or they make me feel as though what I have prevents me from experiencing God. And I don't even know how to give you something right now that would make you feel good about this because sometimes we aren't supposed to feel good with the challenging words of Jesus. And when we walk out of this place, and I know each of us have our agenda for today, and we're going to do things this coming week, what do I do with the words of Jesus that say, those who right now are hungry and poor and who have been marginalized and kicked to the side, they're the ones that receive God's blessing. And I can say, well, there's been times that people have excluded me that told me I couldn't come to something. And you're like, is that it? I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. But when we think about these words that he lays out on that day on that field and he calls his disciples closer and says, I'm choosing 12 of you so that the world will see what I'm doing. I am flipping things upside down because the world says, even to this day in 2022, that you are only as worthy as your bank account or status or image. And those are the warnings that Jesus gives that day. Is that where I have my confidence? Is the confidence that I have in this world, what I have in the bank, what I have around me, what I wear and what I say and how people see me? And the world is influenced by voices that don't even have the character to stand up to the platforms they've been given. 
and we wonder, what's this thing all about? And I, again, I, I think I'm, I'm more, I want to sit with you in this, this, this funky feeling of Jesus sometimes is laying out a very hard track to follow. And where I end up in the, the, the thought that I want to leave you with as you get ready to leave this place is this. Where does your confidence come from? Does it come from the work that we produce by our own hands and receive the adulation of the world around us, how many likes we get or how much money we have? Or am I pursuing Jesus? Or maybe I should put it a different way, more like this. In my life, do I just sprinkle Jesus on when I need him? Or am I following him so directly that I am not worried about the things that the world worries about, but I see the world the way that God sees them? So when I come across a poor person, I know how to act. When I come across a person in need, when I come across a person who has been defamed, I know what to say. I know what to do. I was listening to a podcast recently. Some of you are podcast listeners. And it's a pretty famous podcast. And the two people going at it on the podcast, one had a particular bent on life, and we'll put him into the socialist end of things. And the other had another bent on things, and we'll put him on the capitalist end of things. And sometimes we assume that all the woes of this world can be figured out if we just have the right government and political system. And by the way, when Jesus pulled his disciples closer that day, he didn't say which party to vote for. He didn't call them closer and say, you should hedge all your bets with Caesar and his kids. He said, the world's going to act the way the world acts. And the only way to see the kingdom is if you're following me. And which is why he chooses these 12, which become hundreds, becomes thousands, and become millions. If you were to go out into the world today and say to someone, I'm a Christian, my guess is that they have already prearranged in their mind what that means. And that's exactly the kind of people that Jesus interacted with that day. People who had already made up their minds on what the Jewish people were like. And Jesus is saying, they got it wrong hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I want to see it done right. I want to flip the world upside down, and I want to have a different scorecard. If I can use the analogy of a sports day anymore, I want to do it right now. I want to change the scorecard for what matters. And these are cutting words. They're cutting to me, and I guess they're probably cutting to you as well that we need to make sure that we do not take our confidence in the things of this world, but we take our confidence in Jesus. So let's pray. Holy Father, may we be challenged not just to feel good about ourselves this afternoon and move on, but may we be challenged to see this world that you have created with all of its ins and outs, its creativity and its beauty, and sometimes its ugliness and shame. May we see it with your eyes. May we not take the confidence 
in our bank account or the things that we wear, the influence that we have, the friends that we keep. Oh, but Father, may we keep our confidence in you. May we follow you diligently today. May it impact the words that we use and definitely the actions that we give to this world. We want to be a sweet aroma even when people don't understand. Help us to show you off well to a world that needs you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.